Please excuse the audio difficulties you will experience at the beginning of the sermon today. Good morning. Audio was lost at this point, but the issue was resolved. Again, please excuse the technical difficulties. ...to him, and we're going to talk about them a little bit more in depth in just a minute, but he talks about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and you've maybe heard that name if you've been those names, if you've been around the church a little bit. Uh, a special couple that loved the Lord, loved each other, and loved the mission of God, and they were incredibly important to Paul. Uh, he talked about the fact that many people came to Christ. Jews came to Christ, Greeks came to Christ. Uh, and so much so that this new religion, in essence, Christianity was uh, a threat. It felt like a threat, at least to the Jews in the synagogue. And there was a leader in the synagogue by the name of uh, Sosthenes. That's a, it sounds like I'm sneezing when I say that, but that, that's his name, Sosthenes. And uh, he is an uh, interesting guy. And, and, and probably my favorite part of Scott's message was so good I want to repeat it again. Um, at the end of his message, he talked about the fact that you know, uh, Sosthenes had brought some charges against Paul to sort of the governor of that province. It's an important man by the name of Gallio. And Gallio listens to Sosthenes, listens to the other leaders in the, in the uh, synagogue about this new religion and the fact that they wanted it shut down. And Gallio basically says, listen, you're talking about words and phrases and things that deal with your religion. And because it has to do with your religion, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to turn my back on it. I'm not, going to, I'm not even going to deal with this. Well, the people who had, had come with Sosthenes uh, to present Paul before Gallio, they didn't like that. And they turned on Sosthenes and beat him up right there in the presence of Gallio. So this is kind of a tense moment. And I, my favorite moment of the whole message and, and this beautiful story that Scott was telling us and that God has shown us in his word is that Paul writes a few years later to the Corinthians. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. <laughs> Love it. We're, and this is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. This is Paul being very specific and intentional here when he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Right? There's only two times in the word of God where this man's name is mentioned. Acts that he covered, and 1 Corinthians 1. Now, some, some theologians say, maybe it's somebody else named Sosthenes. I'm like, no, come on. It's too good. What was Paul doing? He was telling the church there is a redeeming quality. <laughs> He's telling the church that even in the middle of what seems like chaos, God is in control. He was telling the church that even your enemy can become your brother. That's what he was telling the church. 
And what a beautiful, beautiful message. And I'm just, I'm so grateful uh, that Scott helped us to see the very guy that opposed Paul in Corinth ends up being with him as Paul writes to the Corinthians as a brother, our brother in Christ. So good. So thank you again, Scott. We love you, man. What a good job. We're going to continue in Acts 18. If you have your Bibles, turn over there to verse 18. We have just a few verses this morning, about five verses we want to cover. Acts 18, starting in verse 18, says this. After this, in other words, after the kind of the riot and the beating up of Sosthenes, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Centrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And we're going to see that is the mission of Paul, to see disciples made and strengthened. It ought to be our mission as well, right? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way that you love us. God, thank you for the chance to be with your people, our family. Lord, thank you that you desire to take us deeper and deeper and deeper into the love that you have for us, to show us more of yourself. May we take that opportunity, God. May we May we be intentional about learning, about growing, about coming back around to go deeper. It's our choice, God. You've given us opportunities and provision for that depth in you, and I pray that we would be intentional uh, and committed and courageous to do it and to learn of you, Lord. God, I pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth today. I pray that I would decrease in this time and that you would increase And that you'd give us the courage, Father God, to be obedient to your word, not just to hear information. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So a few things that I want us to look at in this text. The the main theme of this text today is relationships. The church is all about relationships. You know, there's that old saying that says, you know, ministry would be easy if it wasn't for the people. Which is a goofy phrase because that is ministry. It's people. That's what makes that phrase funny. The church is about people, it's about relationships, it's about connectedness, it's about growing in our relationship to Jesus. It's all about relationships. And this text, if you look a little deeper, is all about relationships, new relationships, old relationships. And I just, I love the fact that God shows us uh, that that is a special one. This relationship that he builds with this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, Scott mentioned to us last week, Aquila had come from Pontus. Uh, and that they had been kind of kicked out of Rome, probably because they're Christians. Uh, and he had met this couple. And we learned a little bit about this couple. I want to show you a map really quick because we're talking about a lot of different cities. And I want you in your mind geographically to kind of get an understanding of what we're talking about. So Paul over here on the left has been in this, see this little land bridge here. Corinth is sort of the port for this Adriatic Sea direction to go into to Europe and around. This uh, Centrea is the port on the other side, and it takes you over here to Asia and down into Jerusalem. So they've gone from Corinth to Centrea. Centrea gets his hair cut. 
because he's under a vow. And then they leave and they go to Ephesus where he goes into the synagogue and they want him to stay, but he can't and doesn't. And they leave Ephesus and they go all the way back down ultimately to Caesarea. So I wanted you to kind of get a sense of what that looks like um, geographically, okay? Now, the thing about this couple, Paul sought this couple out, one reason, because they did the same thing he did for a living. I think when he found out, oh, there's other tent makers there, then I want to get to know those folks. And they're Christians. So I think there was a personal connection to Aquila and Priscilla that wasn't uh, like teacher-student. I think it felt more like a peer. Now, if you're in ministry at all, or if you're in a, any kind of business that you're in, it's, it's different. When you, if you're a manager of something, you can connect with other managers. You, kinda, you can understand each other. Pastors feel the same way. It's like we can just kind of, we can be honest, we can be real, we can just share our struggles. There's, there's a peer kind of a sense there. And I think maybe that's what he, they have with uh, Aquila, what he has with Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, this is the place where we see that he did tent making. Nowhere else in Scripture do we understand that his role or his job, and we, we hear about him providing for himself in Thessalonians and other places, but it never mentions what he does except here, that he is a tent maker. He works in leather. Uh, and so he stays with them. They become very, very close. Um, again, they were believers, and so there was a connectedness that he didn't have to to, to preach to them or, or, or bring them up to some level. They were growing and learning together. It was a beautiful kind of a symbiotic relationship. They're mentioned six times in Scripture, six times total, and four of those times Priscilla is mentioned first. Priscilla is not actually her name. Her name is Prisca. We're going to see that in a little bit, but uh, the diminutive of her name. In other words, if, if her name was if, if John, and you call him Johnny, sort of a fun name. So I kind of like that fact that we understand that this is sort of a fun name that, that she was known by. They were close to her, Priscilla. She's mentioned first because she's outspoken maybe. Maybe she's a strong lady. I think if many of you refer to me and Lori, you probably refer to Lori and Drew <laughs> for the same reason. And I think that may be a good thing. Uh, my wife is, she gets, she meets, doesn't meet a stranger. Uh, she's outgoing more so than me. And uh, I love that she is so gifted in all that she does. Um, by the way, we celebrated our 26th anniversary this week, so thank you. 26, here's to another 26, babe. Um, Quill and Priscilla, maybe the neatest thing I think about this couple is that when they're mentioned six times in Scripture, they're never mentioned as being ministered to by Paul. They're only mentioned as ministering to Paul. Isn't that interesting? They support Paul. All six passages talk about their support and love and help of Paul. And if I can, if I can just tell you, as somebody who's been in ministry for a little while, I told you this not too long ago, celebrated my 30th year in ministry this past January, I got to tell you, couldn't have done it without support. We couldn't have made it without couples who loved us who came alongside us, who didn't judge us, who, who held us accountable, who supported us, who cared for us, and has meant everything to me. And so much so that I, I sat this week and I just stopped for a moment. I started thinking about the Aquilas and Priscillas in my ministry, in my life, in our marriage. And I, I sat there on my couch in my study at home and I just began to bawl my eyes out. I just began to weep. And God just gave me this sense of gratefulness for these people who have meant so much to me. And as I was praying about the message, I thought, I want to honor them just for a moment if I can. These are, and listen, there are countless couples 
that I'm not going to mention to you. But there are, there's 13 that I do want to mention to you, and I want to show you their pictures. This is the first one. This is Ralph and Carolyn Jones. They're a couple out of England, Arkansas. I was an 18-year-old student pastor, and they came alongside me and helped me. They didn't, they didn't make me feel less than, like I didn't know what I was doing when I didn't know what I was doing. They loved me and helped me and, and cared for me. That's their son, Jeremy, who was one of their, uh, he was in seventh grade when I was their youth pastor. They loved me and they supported me. Uh, this next couple is Lynn and Randy Pate. They're at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, just after we left, they, uh, they adopted this beautiful little boy uh, who's now a baseball player for the University of Arkansas. But he is, these, these, this couple just loved us and supported us and, and, and came alongside us. Kevin and Mary Beth Wood down in First, uh, First Baptist Church in, in Livingston, Texas, to this day are very, very precious to us, very special to us. Kevin has been at First Baptist in Livingston for over 40 years. What an example of pastoring uh, and loving well. Then we went on the road. I went on the road for a season uh, singing, and there was a couple that really became very close to us while I was on the road, John and Angie Summer. And they're, some of, to this day, some of our best friends. I, I mean, uh, do, you, do you have people in your life that when you, you haven't been around them in five years and then you see them again, it's like, shoot, you go right back to the same place? That's, that's so many of these people sort of have that kind of quality in our uh, relationship with them. And then we came off the road, and I, I went to work at a church called uh, Community Christian Fellowship, and we met Chad and Mika Carger. To this day, they are some of our closest friends. They have loved us well. They have supported us well. When I see these faces, I'm telling you, the, the roots run deep because of how they've loved and how they've cared for us. Uh, we moved then from Houston to, to Franklin, Tennessee, and this couple, Rich and Allison Stevens, they were in our very first small group and we did small group for months with just the four of us, seeking the Lord, praying, and then the faithfulness of God. Before too long, we birthed several small groups out of that little small group, and God gave us a ministry to a lot of people in that church. Then we changed the name from Crossroads Community Church to Ecclesia, and Tim and Edie Bassanio became some of our dear supporters and friends. There, there they are. Dear, dear friends, best friends of ours. Lori just had a phone call this week. She's welling up with tears over here because these people mean so much to us. Then we changed the name of that church again to Journey Church. And Chris and Shelly Rader became some of the dearest friends uh, that we've had. Still very, very close and love these folks. Then we planted a little church in Franklin called Roots Church. And this couple, Lane and Jenny Rogers, came alongside us and they said, we're going to do this with you. They have, I want to say, it may be wrong because the number keeps changing, but I think they have, they have 11. They have 11 children now. And uh, yeah, so that, we were just going to grow the church no matter what it meant, you know, however it took. But Lane and Jenny supported us, loved us, pastored with us, amazing people. And then, of course, we felt the call to move to Little Rock, Arkansas and be a part of Fellowship Bible Church. And I had the privilege of working under Daryl Adcock. And we just fell in love with Daryl and Tracy. Their hearts are so genuine. He, he was the best leader I've ever worked for. And uh, what a privilege and a joy that God led them from fellowship to come over here and be a part of South City. Amen? So glad that they're here and they continue to be uh, some Aquila and Priscilla for us. We love you guys. And then the last day I was at fellowship, they gave me an opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to Temple Baptist Church. And we're going we're gonna to restart a church. And if you want to come and go with us, well, crazy thing to say, right? But if you want to come and go with us, come on. 
I want you to know there were two couples that said, we're going to come and go with you. One was Annie and Cody Deerdorf. They left fellowship that day and joined us at here at Temple the very next Sunday. What a wonderful support. They weren't the only ones. Also, Paul and Emily Hanley left as well. And they met us here that next Sunday. And they're still with us. Beautiful couples. And if I, before I tell you the next one, you know, God has blessed our ministry here. We've been here for uh, over three and a half years, four years in, in October. But I couldn't talk about an Aquila and Priscilla without talking about Jerry and Sue Kidd. They are our Aquila and Priscilla in many, many ways. They have supported, encouraged, loved, cared for us in ways that we can't even put into words. Can I just tell you, in ministry, you have to have support. You have to have it in life. You have to have support. People who are willing to hold you accountable, care for you, meet your needs occasionally. Keep your kids on occasion, right? Discipline your kids for you sometimes on occasion. You, you need people that, that hold your arms up, and all these wonderful people have done that for me and my wife over the years, and I can't imagine life in ministry without these people. In fact, that's exactly the way Paul felt about Aquila and Priscilla. Look in Romans chapter 16, verse 3. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. This couple was willing to die for Paul. That's what he says. They were willing to risk their own necks, to risk their own lives. They supported him in such a powerful way. They were courageous. They loved him, they cared for him, they supported him, and not only that, it says that they were leaders in the church. Greet the, the church in their house. There's another one of the six passages that also says something about Priscilla and Aquila supporting another house pastor. So they not only lead, they support others. It's just a beautiful uh, relationship that Paul had, and they were incredibly supportive. Second thing I want us to see this morning in our text is that Paul had some definite plans of his own. He, he had some plans of his own. If you read this text, you kind of get a sense something's a little different. He, he's kind of... Uh, he's, he's got a plan to go to Jerusalem and he won't be stopped, which is kind of unlike Paul. Normally, if, if Jews in a synagogue said, no, will you stay a little longer? He'd be like, I'm here, right? He would stay and teach, but he had some plans of his own. Look with me at this text in verse 18. He says that Centrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now, the first thing I think is interesting is this haircut, this vow. Uh, Paul evidently had longer hair. And it wasn't just because he was styling and profiling, you know what I'm saying? Paul had a vow he made. Now, this vow is what we, what's considered a Nazarite vow in, in Numbers 6. You can kind of see the specifics of what a Nazarite vow is. It means you don't cut your hair for a season. It means you don't drink wine or eat the fruit of the vine at all for that season. The reason you would take a vow sometimes was to ask the Lord to protect and provide in a season or to thank him for protection and provision in a season. One of the things we know about this vow is that at the end of the vow is when you cut your hair. 
So this must have been at the end of a season where Paul really asked the Lord to, to, to help, provide, protect. And that's exactly what God has done. And in this text, we see the ending of the second missionary journey and the beginning of the third. So it just makes sense to me that Paul is saying, thank you, Lord, for your provision in this vow. He, he shaves his head. Uh, in the, typically in the Jewish uh, law, you would keep your hair and then you would take it to the temple and you would burn it as a part of the vow process. Well, that makes sense because Paul is going to be making his way where? <laughs> to Jerusalem, to the temple. And so it makes sense that this is the ending of a vow and that he's going to do this. Some of you go, now wait a minute, this is a Jewish vow? Haven't we heard Paul talking about uh, we don't need to follow the Jewish law, that salvation is in faith alone, by Jesus alone, and now Paul's following some Jewish vow, right? Here's the thing. Paul was Jewish, right? From his birth, Paul was Jewish. There's nothing wrong with him taking this Jewish vow. In fact, you might do some things. I have friends that, uh, Lane and Jenny Rogers, every year they go to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for like two weeks in tents. Their family go and they stay in tents, rain, sun, snow, whatever. They don't have to. We're not, we're not required to as Christians to do that. They choose to. That's just something that they want to do. In the same way, this is just, you could, what I like about it is it's kind of, you get to see Paul's character, his integrity. I want, he wanted to make a personal, this wasn't about anybody else. This was a personal vow that Paul made. And he's following it through exactly the way the law says to. It's a beautiful example of his relationship with Jesus. And now he's headed to Jerusalem to burn that and to finish the vow. The second thing we see in this little section is he goes to the synagogue. Now, I don't know if you remember in Scott's message last week, but Paul got frustrated with the synagogue in Corinth. You remember what he said? He, he shakes off his sandals and says, now I'm going to the Gentiles, right? But then he gets to Ephesus and where does he go? The synagogue. I, I love that. And the reason I love it is because I think it shows you Paul's heart. Paul said, I'm going to the Gentiles. And the next place he gets an opportunity to go somewhere, he goes to the Jews. Because he loves the Jews. He wants the Jews to know the Messiah. That's the place. He, it's, it's been his MO. When he goes into these cities, he goes right into the synagogue. They talk about Messiah all the time. And Paul can come in and go, you've talked about Messiah. I know him. I've met him. I've been with him. His name is Jesus. And he loves you and he wants to save you. And so Paul goes into the synagogue. Uh, but he doesn't stay. What I think is interesting about that is... is uh, He's following God's will. Paul has got these definite plans. He senses that God wants him to go to Jerusalem. Some people think it was for Passover or some festival that was taking place. But Paul had a beeline. He had a date with a boat in Ephesus. And he wasn't going to miss that boat. So even though he went in the synagogue and he preached and spent time and, and got a lot of interest, what's so cool about that, God is going to use that interest on his third missionary journey when he comes back to Ephesus. See, a lot of places that Paul has been, the people didn't go, this is awesome, will you stay? <laughs> no, they ran him out. They stoned him. They, they you know, they, they didn't want to hear it. So it's just so interesting that now they hear it and Paul says, yeah, but I can't stay. Because God had a plan for him. That, that's the, the third thing I want to see in this section of, under Paul's plans is he's submissive to God's will. He's submissive to God's will. And I think there's a healthiness in this. Even as I read this, I think, you know, some pastors and preachers and ministry leaders, they might go, sorry, kids, we can't do vacation this year because the people asked me to stay and preach a, a revival. 
or the people ask me to do this, and, and you could see where the super religious might go, oh yeah, you probably ought to preach that revival. That may not be God's will. And this is a perfect verse where you see Paul going, I know you want me to stay, but God has already told me I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. And so he follows that call to Jerusalem, and he doesn't stay, but he gets to come back in just a little while. Do you remember when we were in the book of James? James talked about speaking about God's will and just kind of doing whatever we want to do. What I love about this, this picture of Paul's plans are that he has a vow with the Lord, a personal vow, that he has a heart for the Jews to know Jesus, that he's submissive to God's will. Look what James says about that in James 4.13. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade or make a profit. I mean, it's interesting. That's kind of where Aquila and Priscilla are going to do their business. Uh, Paul's going with them. It says, yet you do, not, uh, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, James says. What I love about that is what we see is Paul is not boasting. What we see is Paul is not evil. Paul is not about his own life or his own plans. He's following the Lord's plans because he says to the church or to the synagogue in Ephesus, if it's God's will for me to come back, I'll come back. It's not about my life. It's not about something I want to do. If it's his will and he allows me to come back, I'll be here. So Paul's not only submissive, submissive to uh, God's will, he's also submissive to the elders in, in Jerusalem. So they leave that port of Centrea. They go to Ephesus. From Ephesus, they're going to leave and they're going to head towards Caesarea. Look in verse 22 where it says, When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. Now, for Westerners, when we read a map, if I were to show you that map again, you would see that Caesarea sets uh, here, and the way you're looking at me, and Jerusalem is 65 miles south, southwest, this way. And yet it says he went up and greeted the church. Now, if we were reading a map, we would say he went down to Jerusalem, right? But here's the thing about how they spoke directionally. Anytime anybody went to Jerusalem, the holy city of God, geographically and uh, spiritually, they were going up. 2,800 feet above sea level, Jerusalem sits. So the whole time he's leaving Caesarea going south, he's going up to the holy city of Jerusalem. And then when he leaves Jerusalem to go to Antioch, he's going to go down Mount Zion to Antioch. That's, that's the reason this is sort of backwards from our western sort of geographical thinking. So he goes to Jerusalem. Why does he go to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem? 65 miles out of his way. He could have gone a lot shorter to Antioch. But instead he goes 65 miles on foot to Jerusalem, and then he's going to have to go all that way back to Antioch. He goes because he's submissive to the elders and the leaders of the church at Jerusalem. What I love is this shows that Paul is a missionary. He's not a, he's not a lone ranger. He lives a submissive, submitted life to other godly men. We've talked about this before. Submission is God's design for our lives. It's his design. Paul is showing us this. Here he's been a missionary for years. This missionary journey is three, three and a half years long. 
And after that missionary journey, he wants to give a report to the leaders at the church in Jerusalem. He wants to share what God has done. And so he submits himself, his life, to these men. Can I just tell you something? There's a few moments in this message today. I want us to pause, and I want you to just look at me for a second. I want to, I want to make a point. The Christian life is a submitted life. As believers in Jesus, we need to be submissive to people. The Bible tells us that, that, that we're to be submissive to God. We're to be submissive to one another, it says in Ephesians 5. It says that wives are supposed to be submissive to husbands. It says that children are supposed to be submissive to parents. It says that we're supposed to be submissive to government leaders and authorities. Submission is the way God has designed our lives to be protected and cared for and loved and lived the very best it can be lived. We see that in Paul. He lives a God-honoring life. In fact, I would even say to anybody watching or listening to this, if your life is not lived in submission to someone, you're not living a godly life. Life is not about you. It's about what God wants to make in you, who he wants you to become. And that can't be done without submission. Here's the third thing I want us to see in the text. Paul is coming full circle in Antioch. His missionary journey started in Antioch, and now he's going, it says down, even though he's going north in the map, he's going down Mount Zion to Antioch, verse 22. When he landed at Caesarea, which was the port of Jerusalem, he went up to greet the church in Jerusalem, and then he went down to Antioch. Now, when he reaches Antioch, that's full circle. The second missionary journey is over. Have you been on a trip? Maybe you've been gone a week or two weeks or whatever, and you're driving home, and you get an hour away from home, and all of a sudden, you start seeing landmarks that are really important to you, that are silly. Like, that's my Circle K right there. That's, that's my McDonald's, right? That's, my, that's our Walmart. We're almost home. You know what I mean? There's something that you just feel connected to around your place that is your home. And even though this isn't where Paul is from, he spent a lot of time there. He's got a lot of relationships there. And as he makes his way back to Antioch, don't you know he feels a sense of accomplishment, a sense of joy for what God has done? Uh, Everybody asking, man, you got a pretty short haircut. Yeah, it's because God has been faithful. On this missionary journey, God has been faithful. And I just give him glory for what he's done. And so Paul comes into Antioch. He spends six to nine months in sort of a respite, uh, rest, Sabbath time. But you know Paul's doing what Paul does, right? He's in the synagogue. He's making disciples. He's hanging out with people, taking them deeper in a relationship with God. I I didn't know this song. uh, I mean, I know the song, but I uh, wasn't thinking about the lyric this morning until we sang it in, in Good, Good Father where he says, deeper. He takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into love. That's part of the theme of this text this, this morning. We see Paul wanting to take believers deeper and deeper and deeper. Have you gotten there? Or, or do you tend to just sort of stay on the surface? Paul reaches Antioch and he's, he's around these close relationships. He spends six to nine months and then we see him go right back on mission because that's who he is and that's what he does. Let me tell you something about Paul that's greater than the relationships in his life is his relationship to Jesus. The thing that's greatest in Paul's life is the mission that God has him on. So even though he's enjoying this wonderful moment sort of back home in a way, he leaves to go on the third missionary journey, uh, which starts in verse 23. Look here, it says, after spending some time there, 
he departed. And he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. You see that little phrase? Strengthening all the disciples. So Paul doesn't rest very long. He doesn't hang out too long. He gets back to the business, his business, of life transformation. People knowing Jesus. People being taken deeper in an understanding of who they are in Christ and the mission that God has for them, for others. So he goes back on this third missionary journey. He's going to go back to Galatia, back in Phrygia, places that, that you might remember some names of these cities. Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Remember those places? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear those names, I go, really, Paul? <laughs> Do you remember the first missionary journey? Do you remember how well he was received? Not very. Let me give you a reminder. In uh, the first place here, or I guess after he leaves the island and gets to Pisidia, Antioch, he's, he and Barnabas are driven out of the city. The next place in uh, Iconium, he's about to be stoned. So they run him out before he's stoned. They, then he goes to Lystra. Guess what? They catch up to him. People from Pisidia, Antioch, and Iconium gather together and finally stone Paul to the place where he is unconscious, dragged out of the city and left for dead. They thought he was dead. I'm not sure he wasn't. I'm not sure that God didn't do a miracle and raise Paul to life. It doesn't tell us that. But it says that he was left for dead and then when the believers come around him, the disciples come around him, Paul gets up, miraculous at the very least. You think Paul goes, oh, let's get out of this joint, right? That's what I would say. Let's go as far from here as we can go. That's not what Paul does. Paul turns around and goes back into Lystra, the very town he got his butt kicked, the very town he got stoned and left for dead. He goes, oh, I wasn't finished. Listen, if you can't see that Paul was a bad dude, that Paul was tough, Paul had a vision and a strength to know that God had a plan for those people and he wasn't going to let anything, even his life or death, come between him and the message of Jesus to those towns, then you don't know the situation. Paul gets up and he goes back into that town to strengthen those disciples. Look, look what it says in Acts 14, verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas and, uh, to Derbe. Now, when he preached the gospel of that city, he made many disciples. Again, they returned to Lystra. <laughs> Again, they go back into Iconium. Again, they go back into Antioch. Look at the next phrase, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Is Paul a brave man? My goodness. Is Paul worried about his life? No. Is Paul committed to the mission of God? No question. And he does this. He goes back into these dangerous places. Don't you, can you imagine Paul's walking through the city and the guy that thought he threw the last stone to dent Paul's skull? And he goes, what? He's back here? 
I just, can you imagine? It's so important to Paul that he goes back to these places that he's been. And I want to stop and pause again for this little application point, can we? It's so important for Paul to go back to places he's been. Why? Were the people that didn't hear the message? Maybe. But I'm not sure that's the exact reason how he goes back. He goes back, it says, to strengthen the disciples. He keeps coming back to the same place. He keeps having more and more conversations. He keeps helping them go deeper and deeper and deeper into God's love and understanding of who they are in Christ and the mission they have for Christ. He keeps coming back to these places, even in dangerous moments. Can I just tell you, it is so important for us. Listen, church. It's so important for us to continue to meet, for you to come back to this place week after week after week. It's so important for you to go to your city group week after week after week. It's so important for you to have conversations with people who hold you accountable day after day, to come back to those places that maybe you didn't understand enough that maybe the next conversation will help you go a little deeper. This life in Christ is not one and done. I heard that when I was a kid. I'm good. No, you're not. We need to know Christ with all that we are. Why can we not be committed to his church? Why can we not give our lives to other people in accountability and confession? Because I think there's some places in every one of our lives where we need to be intentional to keep coming back to until God teaches us what we need to know. Some of you are wondering, how come I haven't gone deeper in Christ? Well, Maybe you won't go back to that place that hurts. Maybe you won't go back to that place where there's questions. Maybe you won't stay in this area that you don't understand until you do. Paul went back to these places so that he could take people deeper and he wants you to go back to those places in your history, in your life, the tender places of your soul until you understand his heart, his will, and his mission for you. Anybody get stoned on their way in this morning? I'm being silly, of course, right? But I, I just wonder, why, why, is it, why is it so hard? Remind me why it's so hard to be at church consistently. Remind me why it's so difficult to, to really commit your life to others in a small group where transformation happens. We have to repeat. We have to learn from Paul's mission and Pauline cycle if we're going to go deeper in Jesus. You know, I've been reading, I'm going to close the message, I've been reading about this concept of discipleship. It talks, it kind of compares these two different styles of discipleship. One is information-based discipleship, and the other is obedience-based discipleship. A lot of churches, and, and this one included, we, we teach a lot. We go verse by verse, we go through books of the Bible, we, we give a lot of information. And we kind of, I'll be honest with you, we kind of hope that you got it. We're moving to the next information. Some disciple-making movements around the world, that's not how they do discipleship. <laughs> Some of those movements do it like this. They, they teach about a, an obedience-based issue until the church gets it and is obedient to it. 
and then they move on. Wrap your brain around that for a moment. Far too long the American church has been content with giving information and not being obedient. Far too long we've been content with just learning some stuff and not applying it to our lives, not becoming the people of God that he wants us to be. We, we live these segmented lives like I can just be this Sunday and I don't really have to do what it's called for. No. Or do we, need, we need to be obedient followers of Jesus. I'm even reminded in the Great Commission, you know, we talk about the Great Commission. Is even as I say that, you think all of our minds go to taking the gospel, right? Let me tell you what part of the gospel is. Look with me, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We know that part. We'll go anywhere. We take the gospel. We see people saved and made into disciples. And we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look at the last part. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Part of the Great Commission is obedience to Jesus' word. We're, familiar, we're fulfilling the Great Commission here as we teach each other how to be obedient to his word. That's part of the commission. It's not just a number on a board. It's not just another country across the street. It's in us. Is the Great Commission being fulfilled in you this morning because you're obedient to observe the things that Jesus has said? Listen, this morning, this, this text is, is about a few things. It's about relationships. I love the relationship between Aquila and Priscilla. We're going to get into it a little bit more as, as they do something pretty bold next week. But I, I, I love this, this relationship that he says, you guys stay here. I'm going to run over here to the synagogue. And he's, they're, just, they're partners. I love that. I also love the fact that they're a married couple. Aquila and Priscilla, they're a married couple honoring Christ with their marriage, with their lives, they are a team. Can I just ask you married folks, how's your ministry coming? Some of you say, well, no, no, we're not in ministry. I do this, he does that. No, you are. If you know Jesus as your savior, you're in ministry. And if you're married, you have a ministry together. How's your ministry? How's your support of ministry? How's your support of other couples, of other people striving to make Jesus known? They knew the word. We're going to see that next week. They had a deep understanding of the word. Do you? They led the church in their home and they helped other churches. Do you? God used their marriage and their partnership in ministry in incredible ways. What does God want to do in your marriage? What does he want to do with the ministry of your marriage? What would that look like for you? I want you just to take a moment and process it. What would that look like for you? I can tell you my effectiveness in ministry would be negligible apart from that woman right there. I can't imagine it without her. We are better together. What does God want to do in your marriage? Do you even have a vision for that? Maybe begin to pray and ask the Lord to develop that in your heart and your marriage. Here's the second thing I want you to see as we close. Paul honored the Lord with a personal vow. With his real relationship to Jesus, to God. 
He was dependent upon him. He had a submitted life to the Lord's will. He had a submitted life to other leaders. He was a man under submission. And he had a heart to make Jesus known above any other relationship. And then lastly, I want you to see, part of Paul's process is he goes back, he goes back, he goes back. We've been studying the book of Acts and the Pauline cycle and this for a couple of years. And this is one part of the cycle. He preaches. He makes disciples. He develops a community. He appoints leaders. He goes back. He keeps strengthening these people, strengthening the disciples, strengthening their faith, establishing the church. What area of your life, look, look right here. What area of your life right now do you need to look at your heart and go, where do I need to go back? All of us have a spot where our faith is a little thin in some spots. All of us have a place where we need to give it back to God and say, Lord, I think I skipped over this because it was painful. Or I skipped over this because the bitterness makes me feel good or whatever the case may be. Or I don't want to go, I don't want to talk about that relationship. Listen, I think we need to go back. And we need to be strengthened as believers in the weak areas of our lives. This morning, I want to encourage you. Encourage you in, in, in your relationships. Encourage you in your relationship to the Lord, trusting his will, living under his will, living submitted to other people. And the courage to go to some places that may not be easy. Can you imagine Paul's decision to get up from being stoned and go right back into that city? And go away, just a little ways away, and then, hey, let's go back again, how about? What? See, there's no way to, to really be strengthened unless you keep doing the same thing over and over in, some, in many ways. I may not look like it now, but I, there's been times in my life where I've been an athlete. I've played a lot of sports. I've lifted a lot of weights. And there's no way to get strong. Even as a guitar player, there's no way to play the guitar well without doing it over and over and over again until you build those muscles that allow you to do the thing you want to do. And if the thing you want to do is to follow Jesus with all your heart, what are the weak muscles in your soul that you need to give some attention? We're going we're gonna to sing a song. The team's going to go ahead and come back. And I, I love the theme of this song. It just says, build my life, Lord, on the things that matter. And the altar's open. If you need to just, if maybe as a married couple, you need to say, Lord, what is our ministry? What are you calling us to? Take us deeper than we've been. Your faith is not just a, a weekly thing you do for the rest of your life and nothing ever changes about you. No, every week, every day, every experience ought to be leading you to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so as we sing this song, if you want to pray up here as a married couple or with another couple, maybe you just want to say, Lord, I want to make a vow. I want to make a promise. I want to submit my life or I want to go back to an area that needs some attention. Help me. Today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this 
example that Paul gives us in many ways today. Lord, will you use this time together to draw us closer to you, to take us deeper in you. God, help us not to be satisfied with a surface relationship with you or anybody else. Take us deeper. Give us the life that you want for us. Help us to learn to observe all the things that you've taught us. And send us in ministry on mission. Prepare our hearts now, Lord, as we sing this song and we get ready to take communion and remember the beautiful gift of salvation, this beautiful story of redemption. Prepare us now, we pray in Jesus' name.